Hi, Savvy Souls. I have such a huge treat for you today. It's an interview with my client and amazing friend, Dion England. Dion's an author and business consultant who's worked for large corporations most of her career. And in her books and writings, she shares insights and strategies that business people can use to feel more fulfilled in their work and reduce their stress and free up their energy to do their best. But I think what you're going to love most about her is she delivers her wisdom in a lighthearted, irreverent, and frequently hilarious manner. So let's dive into the interview. There are so many things that you're going to learn about your own journey and about navigating the corporate world. Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. Okay, so Dion, I'm so happy that you agreed to do this interview with me because you have such a kind of a different and interesting, fascinating journey. And I think it's going to be super helpful to my listeners. So I thought what we'd do is we'd start off by talking about how you are actually in two worlds right now. And I think you know what I mean by that. So do you want to explain to people what that means? Sure. Well, thanks for inviting me, Heather. Happy to talk to you today. So in the two worlds, I think it's basically the fact that I'm in the world of the corporate world as a business consultant um, and fully engaged in that world. And I'm also in the world of being an author and writing, creating blog posts and other types of content to support uh, managers. So originally I, I saw them as two completely separate worlds. So it's kind of like, um, almost like being a waitress and then waiting until I was discovered as an actress or something like that. But then what I realized is the two worlds in my particular situation actually support each other because being in the corporate world really gives me very relevant and current um, insight in terms of what's going on, what some of the challenges are, um, how people are managing them, ideas I can actually test out strategies and see how they're working. So I actually find that my two worlds really work together because then that now feeds the stuff that I talk about in my books, that I talk about on my blog posts, on my blog posts and stuff like that. So I'm actually finding that the two worlds really reinforce each other. I find that so cool because I think that um, when we have these journeys where we kind of move into stuff that feels more aligned with who we are, and we actually give ourselves permission to walk into that identity, they start to merge. I've been finding this recently about myself and I'm allowing my art and my coaching to kind of merge together in ways that I didn't think were possible, right? And right. I find that, yeah, when we go on this path of discovery and we really start to give ourselves permission to do what we want and enjoy it, we can kind of start enjoying like the whole world. <laughs> right. And both become better, right? Yeah. And both, both become both become better, which I think is going to be the theme of the interview today and why I'm so excited about having you. So what, what I would like to do is dial back to a few years ago when you were 100% 
a corporate consultant. And what I'd like to know is like, what was your journey like? What was the process where you went from, I've got this full-time job, I'm a very successful corporate consultant, and what took you to this kind of dual world now where you're also this very successful author? So I think, I think being an author was really kind of, it's, it's my creative outlet because I always talk about writing as being my art. Right. So, so that's how it came in. And it was really an outlet. And, and, um, and so I think what it was, it was just that there's a more creative part to me. And I was really looking to be able to express that part of me. And that made me feel more fulfilled um, than just the work. Um, and I found that it enhanced it as well, because oftentimes I, I found myself, although, as I just talked about in terms of the two worlds coming together, at that point, I didn't see them coming together. They were two very separate pursuits. Um, but it was very much in terms of how can I like use my, my creative energy and my sense of humor and stuff like that to talk about something that I know a lot about, which of course is, is working in the corporate world. And I just have so many stories, um, because I share that I started working when I was like in high school and it was my girl guide, um, leader who was actually my reference, my first reference for my first job. <laughs> So there's just so many stories that I have over time. And especially now with reflection, seeing the humor in it, because I also see in the corporate world, there's so much. Yes, it's very serious. We're doing a lot of meaningful work. Sometimes it's a lot of money that we're, we're responsible for. So obviously there's the due diligence around that. But there's also a very lighthearted, funny aspect to some of the things that we do. And sometimes if we can take a moment to kind of see the lightness in certain moments, laugh about it and still then deal with the issue. I just found that those are some of the things that I've learned over the years that I'd like to share with other people. And did you always know that it was going to be writing? Like when you first started thinking like I would, I've got some stuff here I'd like to share and I've got this creative outlet that I want to be able to focus on. Has it always been writing for you or was it clear that that's what it was going to be? So no, and it's very interesting because it should have been clear because I've been keeping a diary since I was about 11 years old. So I write a lot. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I'm fairly good at writing and all because I was also sharing um, with with someone that in my in university, whenever I was in doing group work, and we divvy up the work for everybody to do, my job was always at the end to pull everybody's work together and make the whole thing sound really well, really good. So it's very interesting that that never occurred to me at first, but then it just kind of evolved in terms of doing some blog posts and some writing. And I thought, you know what, I really enjoy doing this, especially the humor, humor part of it is something that really I just found it as to be a real great outlet for me and a lot of my ideas and my creative energy. I'm just thinking back, like I've known you for about seven years and I remember you hosting an event. We're both members of a women's business club in Toronto. And I remember early on, and I think this is before you started your book writing, you had, a, you know, an event where you had some special <laughs> name tags. Do you remember that? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like what was happening there? where I had the special name tags? Yeah, the, uh, you were asking people, you had pre-written these name tags for people that were attending your event. That was <laughs> how I fucked up at work today. Oh, right. You know what? And that is actually one of my, that's actually one of my favorite events. I've only done it once. I don't understand why I haven't done it again, but I will. But yes, it's about that time I effed up. And the reason why it was so meaningful for me to do is because Again, we always hear the success stories and I read lots of books and so forth. 
but we don't see like that, the struggles and the negative parts and how long it took. And the fact that sometimes people went down two different career paths and then landed on a third one, which ended up being their, their like connect, their connection. And that's the one that we hear about. And it's just so meaningful when we actually share those very dark moments from a career. I, I did it from a career perspective and it was really great. And I had, uh, again, two great friends of mine who came and they shared these epic failures for them, which at the moment, they actually thought it was career ending kind of thing. And then the whole story is about, okay, and how they pulled themselves up, realized it wasn't the end of the world and, and went on to do all kinds of amazing things. And now those are like footnotes. That's like a great story that they tell to people where in the moment it was very devastating. So it's just so helpful because a lot of us find, find ourselves in those situations in life, but also definitely within our careers to have that reflection and that um, perspective to understand that, no, it's not necessarily the end of the world. Here's what other people have done to pull themselves back on, on, on track. And you can do the same thing as well. And from a connection perspective, because also we hear a lot about learning from mistakes. One of the things that I've learned from leaders in terms of learning from our mistakes, the best thing that leaders have done for me is when I make those mistakes. And sometimes I feel overly responsible and crushed and oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that, is they take a moment and they just have a light moment and they share humorous stories about when they had those moments as well, which really lightens the mood, says, you know what, it's not the end of the world. And then now let's just figure out like, what did you learn from this and let's move on. So I think it's like the most powerful thing for us to be able to be open and honest with others about those epic failures because of how helpful it is. Yeah, I, I must say in my former world, there wasn't a lot of openness about our mistakes, <laughs> nor do I recall many situations where people were laughing about them. And that's why I remember when you hosted that event, I was going, oh my God, that's so amazing. I would so love to sign up and go to that because, <laughs> you know, we posture and we pretend and when we're doing that, it's it, it, it it's hard to feel real. It's hard to you know, just express ourselves and be aligned, you know, for always pretending to be something that we're not. So I really love that. But what I also see in you is this massive creativity. So it, it, it's kind of, I think pretty much anything you did create creatively would, would work out. So it's like you had all this creative energy and, you know, you funneled it into those events and then eventually it was like, oh, I could write a book. And that's kind of my impression of your process. I don't know if you've got any more comments about that, like how you shifted from doing the kind of events. And I think you had something called the Rockstar Program and other things, you know, that I, I still even remember you used to like create amazing children's parties. Like you just, you, you do giant Christmas trees, right? Like everything about you is, is creative, right? Yeah. And I just, and I think that's just the way that I'm built in terms of, kind of coming up with the idea and the concept and then, okay, now let's execute. And it's not even about how big or small it is. It's just about what the creative vision is and what's the best way to kind of bring that to life. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And I've always, I've always been like that in terms of my creative process. And I think, and I've shared this with you before Heather, which is things always work out for me whenever I come up with the creative process and I just execute it exactly the way it comes up to me. So where I fall into problems is where I come up with this big idea and then I start talking myself down like, 
oh, well, that would be too big, or that would be too complicated, or that would be too this, and then I water it down, it never, ever works out. It's almost not even worth the effort to do when, once I do those things. So my learning is really, once the vision comes in place, just figure out what you need to do to execute it, and don't question myself around whether it's too big or too much or too whatever. Yeah, that's how we so often stop ourselves, right? We say, yeah, it's, it's, it's too big. We're, you know, we don't want other people to think we're too big for our britches, like all of that stuff. And it makes me want to cry because there's so many brilliant ideas that are caught up in beautiful brains that also are critical, self-critical brains that say, no, we can't do that. Right. For no reason. We just decide that it's too big. Right. And then that kind of kills, kills the whole effect of the idea. Yeah. So I was going to talk to you about like obstacles as you had the idea to write, write books. I guess that would be probably one of your obstacles when you decided that you wanted to start writing a book is like just staying in the belief that this is who you are and this is what you can, you can do and not kind of second guessing your amazing ideas um, does that sound true? So, yeah, so I wanted to write a book for a while and it was always just kind of putting it off or, or not having enough time. One of the pieces is kind of like, well, I'm going to do it in my spare time, which of course that never happens. So then I finally committed, like at the beginning, what, what actually happened was at the beginning of 2019, I committed and I said, you know what? stop talking about and I wasn't even talking it was talking to myself about writing a book you're either writing a book or you're not writing a book if you're writing a book then write it and I remember that what I did is it was January of 2019 and then I went and I took the step to go and book a venue for my launch book book launch on the 22nd of November of that year not even understanding how long it takes to write a book like that never really came into the equation but all of a sudden it's felt like oh yeah yeah that sounds like a good enough amount of time and then I'm hearing all these things about oh it takes at least x number of years and all this stuff <laughs> but anyways and then it was just basically kind of putting my head down because I'm very um what's what do you call it deadline driven so once that date was put in there and also there was a bit of ego there too that I didn't want to move it um, it was like, okay, so what do I need to do to be able to make this work? And then it was just kind of like working backwards in a plan. I didn't even have all of the people and resources that I needed to be able to know how you actually um, publish a book beyond, but my whole mindset was first get a book, first write the book. And then you actually have something before I fret about how do I publish? How do I market? How do I, well, you don't even have a book yet. So just get the book down. And then what happened is, is that um, resources just came along. Yeah, this is what I'm always harping about uh, myself is you don't have to know how ahead of time, like when you commit to something and you decide, oh, here's my vision. You, you can have visions without knowing the how. Like I think for a lot of people, not knowing the how is the complete obstacle that stops them in their tracks. And you know, is the killer of dreams, this desperate need to know how, whereas if you just decide you're going to do something and kind of allow, allow it to come to you, allow the problems to be solved and know that you just have to keep taking one step after another. Mm -hmm. Or at least know you don't need to solve it today. Right. Like if I'm on page one, I don't need to solve my marketing plan. It's going to burn up my mental energy. And because I don't know, like exactly how to do that, 
it's gonna, it's just gonna kind of wear me down and get that feeling of overwhelm because, oh my gosh, this is so big as opposed to, well, I want to write a book. So I'm just going to do that. That's where I get my creative energy from. And then once I get there, I'll start to figure out those other pieces. Yeah. So even just writing the book itself, like here you were, like, it's not like you have a lightweight job, like you're in a senior position with a, a big, like you're a consultant, but you have uh, a you know huge client it's a big complicated client and it takes a lot of hours how was it that you still managed to create time to write a whole book so well part of it has to do well first of all i, I should say that i have tons of support because i have two kids and i have tons of support which is make i'm very fortunate for that um so that frees up some of my time when I need to write. But the other pieces to it is, and this is this is a big piece for me is over the years, because I've worked in corporations for years and years, um, more years than I'm going to um, admit to. But so many times I've worked crazy hours, done all kinds of things because there's a deadline or we need to deliver on something or we need to launch a product or whatever it happens to be. So I just have this mindset that the same way that I would do that for a client, like I would do at least that much for myself. So, and so that's the reason why, like, sometimes when I'm thinking, oh, this is taking long or what, it's like, well, have you ever put in these types of hours for a project before? Well, of course I have. Well, then this is about you, which should be like your biggest project. So that, that definitely um, has been a, a big mindset that I have that helps me. And also the other piece too, is things like, I just have to prioritize. So for example, I've never seen Game of Thrones. Like there's certain things that I just don't have time to do. And one day I'm going to be watching all of these series that are like 10 years old and talking to people and they're going to be like, are you watching that now for real? So anyway, so that's really what it is. It's also about clearing out the time to be able to like put my head down and commit to it. Yeah. So that we've just talked about two of the biggest obstacles that prevent a lot of people from doing what you've, you've done. And that's like not knowing how ahead of time and then thinking, well, I just don't have time to do this. Were there any other obstacles like were you able to get, you, you mentioned that you have support with your kids and stuff. Did you have like a lot of support for doing what you're doing, like from family, friends, um, other people in your life, or was this really something that you had to do on your own and you had to create your own support for? Well, I think for this, just because I don't know a lot of other authors, although since I, I've met some, but so I think I did a lot of the learning on my on my own, but here's the thing though, which which is with a lot of stuff, like YouTube has all kinds of crap on it, and YouTube also has some amazing content. So um, I found some incredible videos around other authors who are just sharing their stories, and even though I might not necessarily follow exactly what it is that they're doing, it was just very useful for me to really get into that mindset. So that's the way I would say I was able to connect with other authors. And the other piece as well was also other professionals, so who are copy editors and other people who are, who are um, knowledgeable about certain portions of this world who would then be able to help me with their expertise and their knowledge so i kind of built my knowledge as i went along but i definitely watched a number of really great videos of people who have talked about their own processes whether it was being self-published or being uh traditionally published and that was very helpful to round out my knowledge yeah i think that's a really important part of what you're saying in the sense that we can all create kind of a virtual team around us and they don't even have to know that they're members of our virtual team. Right. Like we can have all kinds of teachers in life who don't know we exist, 
but yet they're still profoundly important to us in terms of our own career and our own development. It doesn't have to be the person in the cubicle next door. Correct. Yes, I agree. I know one thing that um, concerns a lot of people is what other people at work will think if they do anything like in quotes, crazy, like writing a book on the side. Did you ever have concerns about what people at work would think? Or did you have to, did you try to hide it at first? Like, how did that go? So I think at first, and like I mentioned earlier, they were two very different worlds. It was kind of like, you know, being like a construction worker and being like a gardener, like things that I thought were in completely two different worlds. And I didn't want anybody thinking that I was distracted in any way, because also being a professional as well, like I take a lot of pride in the work that I do, whether it's my writing or whether it's my business consulting, I'm giving my all to each one in that particular moment. So yes, there were times when I felt like, okay, I need to keep these two spheres completely separate. And I still, for the most part, like, cause they operate completely independently. Um, but now it's also, it's just like, but they kind of reinforce each other. So a lot of the insights that I get in my day-to-day -day job are what kind of fuels a lot of the ideas and the concepts and the examples that I use in my, in my books and um, vice versa. I'm able to try out some strategies that I can then validate and say, yes, I know that this works and I can share that in my, in my content as well. So I find that it makes me a much stronger, um, it makes me stronger in both worlds, that the fact that, I, that I'm um, doing these both pursuits at the same time. Yeah, it seems, it's, it struck me that um, exactly what you're saying, that you, you know, at work in your consulting job, that you actually are showing up at a more in a more powerful way and you know commanding the attention of more senior people and that kind of thing just because i think it's because of the way that you're showing up like as this powerful self-confident super aligned humorous you know kind of like a reverent author right mm -hmm. so they feed into each other in a really amazing and beautiful way i think a lot of people think well you know if i'm going to pursue my passion it's going to be at the exp expense of my job and my job is really important to me. I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, a business owner, I'm whatever that's really important to me. And what I hear you saying is, no, no, you can do these things and you can end up not just doing this thing that you really want to do, but being better at the first thing as well, which is like a huge win-win, right? I agree. And also, I think what you had just mentioned as well is about showing up. I think you talked about showing up as yourself because you're more of yourself when you're... Uh pursuing when you're expressing like the full scope of who you are yeah and I think that's you know I think that's what most of us these days are looking for it's we're looking for people that can actually be themselves which kind of dials us back to your original event that we were talking about at the beginning where it was mm -hmm. like you know how I fucked up at work today and you know it was just like so against what all the normal traditions are and so what we all crave those are the dialogues we are all secretly craving to have at work, right? Like to just have this true and authentic discussion and maybe, maybe be able to laugh at ourselves and be like really honest. And also the idea of being like, you know, I can be big, I can, I can actually admit that I'm amazing at something like, you know, we can be big and bold and beautiful and we can also fuck up and we can do all of it and we can just be ourselves and it's, it's a lot more comfortable, right? To just yep. exist then. Because there's no pretending and there's no trying to hide, oh, that little, you know, sweeping stuff under the rug. I don't want people to see that. It's like, no, that, that part's okay too. Yeah. So 
I'd be really interested to hear about like what you're doing right now. Like, I know that you're writing a series, like, tell me about all the things, like all the things that you're doing. So what I'm doing right now, so I am writing a series of books and it, that's just the way that it came up to me in terms of, um, how the books would run. So the first one is about um, thriving despite the assholes at work, which is really about self-awareness. And it is very lighthearted in terms of poking fun, mostly at ourselves, much less about our colleagues and how we get our, allow ourselves to be triggered by other people. So it's really about de-stressing and, and kind of being a little bit more self-aware. Um, right now I'm writing a book about trust and building trust at work because I feel that I worked in a very, right, very early in my career in a very high trust organization, which kind of set me up in a way because then I just assumed that everywhere is like that. And that's not the case. So when you say a high trust organization, you need a place where people really did actually trust each other. Yeah. So it, it, it was a culture that fostered a lot of high trust and, okay. and and like we, I, I describe my time working in this organization as probably one of the times when I worked the hardest, but I felt the most appreciated. Um, I had the most fun. It was just like a great experience. So because I had that so early in my career, whenever I had other different um, and contrasting experiences, I always knew that this was possible and that this was possible. It's not a trade-off between being a successfully, a, a financially successful organization or being high trust. It was like, no, both and the two feed each other. So I had that idea from very early. So that's why this one is so important to me because I don't, I, by in talking to people, I don't know that everybody understands that trust actually um, drives a lot of, um, a lot of strong performance and it, it's actually cheaper to operate as an organization when it's high trust. So that's what I'm really, so again, I'm lighthearted. So I poke fun at some of the silly things that sometimes we do thinking. What do you think, what do you think, like I've been in some kind of non-trusting environments. What do you think um, the barriers to trust are? Well, first of all, I think people are, are not confident enough to embrace concepts that are not as easy to measure like um cost of goods sold um revenue on products like all of these very hard metrics that fall into a spreadsheet it's very easy to see and to manage and you could see the numbers moving up and down but with other concepts like trust being one of them just because you can't manage them they feel like or you can't see them on a spreadsheet they feel like well i can't spend my time focusing on things like that, or maybe I wouldn't be taken seriously as a business leader as I do that, or maybe my employees will take advantage of me if I'm going to be this soft person who's always being nice. So I think there are a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a very strong business leader and to perform well and to get the most out of people. It's not the whole thing about you get more, what do you get it? It's with honey than a stick. You get more with, anyways, you know the, the, the saying that they say, you get more honey with something versus a stick. So it's better to, to kind of motivate people to do their best work rather than beat them over the head to force them to do the best work. Um, and there's a, a bunch of metrics that I share in terms of there, there are true metrics that show that the high trust organizations do perform better. You know, they have to have good products. Like nobody's going to buy your product just because you're a nice person. Um, and I profile a number of companies that are at the top of their game in their industries and they are, uh, they're, they're very hard coded in terms of having high trust and, and treating their employees well and vice versa. So that's what I'm writing about now. And, and one of the ways, well, one of the ways that you build trust, right, is truth telling, right? 
like just kind right. of keeps circling back to what you're talking about, like being authentic. Right. So like that exact example that you talked about with that event that I had, that's the ultimate truth telling is telling somebody like at a point when, you know, that you, when you screwed up and that you're not perfect and that you make mistakes and all that other stuff, like nothing is more difficult or few things are more difficult than doing that. So once you're able to share that, it builds a rapport, it builds a connection, it builds trust. That's about being vulnerable and, and giving your team members the ability or the permission, I should say, to do the same as well with whether it's with clients or whether it's with their colleagues or whether it's with you. It's really setting that tone that we're human beings. We're going to be held to high standards, but we're also going to be human and we're going to treat each other well and support each other as we, as we deliver whatever it is that our company creates. Yeah, that's amazing. So tell me about the rest. Oh, sorry. When are you doing your, your launch? The launch is scheduled for the end of the year, the end of November. Cool. And then in, um, in 2022, I'm going to do one about embracing your inner artist at work because being an artist is not just about what we think about as, as the typical artistic things like a musician or a painter or whatever. You can bring that art to whatever it is that you do. It's about the creative thinking. It's about thinking outside of the box. It's about creating something new, right? So when we think the, the, the main example that everybody kind of relates to is where you have Steve Jobs coming out with the iPod, which is a completely new concept um, that nobody's ever thought about, be, had ever thought about before that point in time. And also it's the way that he chose to present it as well. So just the way he chose to present it and, and so forth, it's just very much that bringing that art, art into our work. And I think it's not just when you're designing new products. There's so many different aspects that we can bring that. And that's what's going to make us more valuable and more fulfilled in our work. So we're more valuable because when you're bringing that art to your work, it's not just something that you can just write out in a procedures document. You know, it's, it, it is that extra je ne sais quoi or whatever that you're bringing to it that makes things, that turns it up, that X factor. So that's what I talk about because I think that also helps us from a, from a fulfillment perspective in terms of being aligned and bringing our whole selves to work. And then my last one is about falling in love with work, which I say is not about getting in trouble with HR, but it's more <laughs> about falling in love with the work that we do with our clients, because I've actually been in, in work situations where there is that kind of um, brotherly love type feeling amongst the team where we are a family and we even feel that way about our clients and their clients feel that way about us because we're all here everybody knows we're selling a product or a service we're earning a profit the client wants to get the best deal like all of that stuff is always there but while all that is there we can also really have a good experience and have each other's back and work well together and so forth so that's where I want to talk about that in the in the final one because I think that that's what people are looking for as well in terms of that fulfillment, but also it's not about having less work to do, um, but being stressed because of tight timelines and all that stuff in a very toxic work environment where you don't trust people and where people are unreasonable to you, with you feels very, very different than being stressed in an organization where people do have your back, where people understand when you might need to take a break and all that other stuff. It just feels very different. And um, you actually, my experience is you get more out of people in those positive work environments. Right. So that, that makes me want to ask you, where can people actually, because you've got so many amazing ideas and you're, 
like you're just like a fountain of wisdom. Like where, how would people be able to reach you? Like, I know you've got some YouTube videos, you've got a YouTube presence. Like what, what are all the ways? And I can, you know, I can put the links and stuff in the show notes, but what are all the ways that people can actually benefit from your humor and your reverence and your insights? Um, where, where could they see your stuff? Okay. So thank you, Heather. So I put out videos every Thursday um, and that's on YouTube, but I also post it. So, and it's under my name, Dion England, and I call it my lemonade stand because it's me kind of sharing my insights. And the lemonade stand came up by the fact that when we were kids and we had a lemonade stand or something like that, we just had so much pride and enthusiasm about it. So trying to bring back that pride and enthusiasm in the work that we do today. So that's posted on YouTube, but I also post it on my LinkedIn, which is under my name as well, Dion England, as well as um, Instagram, which is at Dion the writer. So that's where people could find me. So Dion the writer at, on Instagram and then by my name on either in, um, LinkedIn or YouTube. Right. And tell me a little bit about the process. Like, you know, when we do these kind of ventures like you're doing, we also have to become entrepreneurs and actually market and sell our stuff. And part of that is, is, is doing these kinds of promotional videos and that kind of stuff. And it's also a way of communicating and getting our creative message out there. But like, did you get any help with that? Do you have teams of people? Like how did, how did you orchestrate that? Right. So at first it was very daunting to kind of put myself out there because I've never done a YouTube video or anything else like that in the, in, in the past. So I decided to, and then yes, finding then um, really great people. Um, so I have a really great video editor um, who, who helps me to do all of my, she, she shoots all my videos, edits them for me. So that's at for uh, pretty sake on Instagram. And then I also have my, um, Lovely Studios, who does my marketing, and I have Up um, Publications, who does my social media posts. And what's really important, back to what you were talking about earlier, about living in the two worlds, is it's really important to have not just resources to help us, but good resources. Because I can honestly say that while I'm doing um, my business consulting, I never, ever have to even think twice about any of that stuff because it runs so seamlessly. We have it um, set up because I can trust them and they're great professionals. So that's very critical to make sure that you have a very solid team um, that you could depend on so that you're able to be who you need to be in all the other areas of your life as well. Right. So yeah, teams are, the people in our lives are so important. The people that in our lives can include like, you know, our digital peers like we talked about before and they can include people we hire and they can include you know the people that we have helping us out every day with our kids and things like that so it makes it takes so i'm gonna lose the expression here but it takes a world to do you know the expression i mean it takes a village yeah it takes a village right. <laughs> we're obviously not very good on our <laughs> on those kind of references but that's okay we're leaving yeah. that all in because we're authentic right <laughs> So um, I know that we talked about this ahead of time and it's something you're going to do with people I interview from now on, starting with you. And that is three words, not three words, three whole ideas or areas of wisdom that you'd like to share with the listeners to this podcast that you think would be useful to them. Sure. So the first one I'm going to talk about is just figuring out your own path. So back to when I was talking about going on YouTube and, and, and looking at stuff, one thing I was very mindful of is not falling into 
other people's patterns. So there's a very, there's lots of disciplines out there on how you write a book. But for me, it was a very specific creative process that I was following, which was not necessarily what some of the more traditional ones are. And rather than getting myself tied up and constricted with the traditional processes, I just followed my own path in terms of here's how I could get my creative ideas out. So I think it's important to feel okay if you're not following the beaten path and you're following something that really resonates with you and works for you. So that's the first one. The second one I would say is about um, looking for value for whoever the audience is that you're serving. So it's not about, well, I just want to say a whole lot of stuff and I want people to just hear me. It's more about what would be useful? How could I do this in a useful way? How could I put this out there in a way that it's easy for people to consume? So very much always having that mindset of creating value as opposed to how could I be like popular or famous or whatever, which, which is a very different, like it is very different in terms of how you approach it. And I very much ascribe to the one about the value. I think that's far more sustainable and um, useful over time. And then finally, and you touched on this as well, is about the time. Like it's really about if you decide, back to that conversation I had with myself at the beginning of 2019, if you're going to do this, then do it and commit the time to it and also having the patience. So I think that's very important was to really carve out the time. And if you're willing, you know, oh, well, I'm tired or I want my week, that's fine if you want all that stuff. But if, you're, if this is something that you really want to do, you have to be willing to carve out that time for yourself to make it a reality because it's not going to happen in your spare time because, you know, spare time gets eaten up with all kinds of little things. Yeah, so, if I remember you use something like bullet journals or something like that, do you want to describe that process a little bit for people yes. that might be helpful to? Yes. So the bullet journal is a, is a specific, it's a book and it's a process in terms of managing your time and planning out your, your life basically um, with a 12 month, time horizon that you're always looking at. So I find it important, helpful to kind of pace myself. It was very helpful with that and make sure that there weren't any surprises because, you know, I would know, okay, in two months I have to do this, or it allows me to panic very early. So as opposed to panicking a month before my deadline, I could panic like nine months before my deadline where, and I still have lots of different opportunities to be able to, you know, accelerate things and still meet the deadline without, you know, missing it. So the bullet journal method is something that I really do ascribe to and I, and I like. Yeah, and we're just throwing that out there, like different things work for different people. And I think it's just useful for people listening to this to just, you know, consider that as, as one option that might or might not work for you. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So I think that kind of wraps it up. I could talk to you for hours but there's so much useful stuff in there that I think people are gonna find um, really encouraging and really helpful. And I think when people go and you know, look at your books, buy your books hopefully, and um, you know, follow you on YouTube and just get to know you better, uh, you're gonna get a lot of other insights about how to manage corporate life a little bit happier and with a, a little bit more well-being and ease. So thank you so much, Dion. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much, Heather. This was great. Oh my gosh, there were so many gems in there for you to take away with you. And I thought it'd be, it might be helpful for you to just, for me to list a few of them for you, just to remind you of the best things. So 
the first thing that I thought was kind of hilarious, just going through her story, was a reminder that the best thing to do after an epic fail is to actually talk about it. It helps you uh, create a more authentic environment. It helps people connect with you and especially laugh about it. I will never forget that event that Dion created about how I how I fucked up before. I mean, what a fantastic way to meet new people talking about that. And if you have a personal project that's actually really important to you, you have to be kind of like Nike, just do it. A big step for Dion was to ask herself, okay, Dion, am I going to write this book or not? And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to start now and I'm going to commit. So it was really just making that decision to go ahead and do it, not just dream about it. Dion also showed you that you don't need to know how before you commit. Don't ever let not knowing how be the excuse not to start. When you do something big and beautiful and bold like this, it's an adventure and you're not going to know how at the beginning. So Dion booked a book launch party at the beginning of the year before she'd even started writing the book. So it was January and she booked her launch party for November. Did she go and research how long does it take to write and publish a book? No, she didn't. She said, you know, this is what I'm going to do and this will be an amazing party. I'm going to start with planning the party and then I'm going to write the book and get it done. And all that while she held down uh, much more than nine to five job, a very demanding and high level job. She also shared how to deal with the issue of time or more precisely lack of time. And the way she solved for her issues was to tell herself that she was her own client, that she, her book, her book was the biggest project that she had going on. And then as she explained, just her willingness to keep carving out the time, keep carving out the time, because this is actually what she wants to do in reminding herself of that. You don't know people in the new area you want to be engaged with? Then be like Dion. What she did was she found digital peers. Your digital peers don't even have to know you. They don't even have to know you exist. They just have to be out there, a kind of a community of people that you can kind of look to and learn from by listening to podcasts, listening to YouTube videos. There's a wealth of resources out there. And then making sure that when you do hire people, hiring the best team that you can to support you, because we all need people around us to support these kind of big ventures. Then, as Dion said at the end, know that the best way to move forward is to figure out your own path. Don't be constrained by what everybody else is doing. Pick what is right and what feels good and what works for you. And finally, focus on creating value wherever you go. It will always come back to you in a favorable and usually money-making way. So Savvy Souls, I hope that was super helpful. I hope you really found a lot of things that you will be able to apply constructively in your own lives. And do check the show notes, check out where you can find Dion, what books she has out now, what books are coming up soon. And 
I think you will be delighted reading them and also listening to her YouTube videos um, called My Lemonade Stand. I think you'll get a kick out of that too. So have an amazing week and I'll see you next time. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want.